0: Responsible AI is an approach to developing and deploying AI in a safe, trustworthy, and ethical fashion. The concept has gained considerable attention with the rise of generative AI technologies. Ezekiel Lanza is an AI open-source evangelist at Intel, and he joins the show today to talk about Responsible AI and the practices and tools evolving around it. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Mon Companies. Check the show notes for more information on Jordi's work and where to find him. Hi, Ezekiel. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Hey, Jordi. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So you gave a talk at Open Source Summit Europe 2023 that took place in Bilbao, Spain. The two topics that you spoke about were responsible AI and explainable AI. Give us a brief overview of the history of these two areas.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. As you said, I mean, it's a new concept that it's pretty old. For instance, when we used to talk about AI and about the things that we can do with AI, computer vision in the 2000s, and also decision trees in the past and everything, when we try to use those algorithms or these models, sometimes we need to define the guardrails, right? So when we need to define the guardrails is when we start to think, okay, we need another technology or we need principles or we need something to define how we can do this model to be implemented, right? And because you can have regulations and you can have a lot of things in the middle that can start, I mean, being important or being more relevant and it's happened i mean it's growing very fast in the last five or six years we can say with all the growth that we have with large language models and chat gpt and gpt and so on because now the models they are we can say that they are generative right so we have this generative part of the that they are creating something so now it's not just a model that is detecting a face or is detecting something, it's a model that is creating something. So responsible AI and also explainable AI, they are taking a great impression in the last years because if you like to use that in your work and in your environment, you need to find some principles. Of course, the principles could be useful for other things, right? But it's a pretty old concept, but during the last years, is gaining a lot of attraction. And even now, I mean, the concept is not 100% clear, it's evolving, you have a lot of papers, but at least the concept of have some guardrails, it's what is mainly increasing in popularity.
0: Okay, so let's take it one step at a time then. So responsible AI, You've said that the concept itself, the definition itself, is probably evolving since it's new, since it's trying to describe a moving target. By definition, it must be dynamic, so that's okay. It's not set in stone, but could you give us a, you know, what's your understanding of what the concept means and aims and the principles underlying responsible AI?
1: Sure. We can mainly mention four principles that can be mixed or differentiated. But we can talk about mainly four principles. The first one is fairness. So if we have a model that is biased, or some models, LLMs, for instance, they can be racist or anything, you would like to avoid that using some kind of technology. There are multiple toolkits that can give you visibility on your data set if your data set is biased, and how you can mitigate that, and so on. So this is one principle for that. The other one is, of course, transparency, which is not a specific tool, for instance. You you need to be transparent when you are developing your model. You need to say, for instance, okay, this model is trained on GPT, the GPT was trained on this data set and how it works and so on. So you need to provide some clarity about the kind of model that you are using or how you use the models, not just one particular model. But this is more a concept, right? So you need to provide that when you are providing your solution. The third concept, which is pretty important, is accountability. Someone has to be responsible for that. When you are developing an application, someone has to be responsible. And it, now it's pretty challenging with the LLM's conversation or even with computer vision that you have a model that was trained or you download the model and it can create content, right? With stable diffusion or LLMs, they can create content. So who is responsible of this content that the model is creating? It's the company that is developing? is the person that trained the model? I mean, someone has to be responsible of that. So this is a third concept. And the last one is more related with privacy and data protection. So how you ensure, for instance, when you are developing an application that you you should encrypt your model to be sure that the model is behaving the way that you would like to behave. Like, I would like to use this model to give me answers or to detect faces. Okay, I need to be sure that the model is performing as it was designed. So there are tools that can allow you, this is more from a security perspective, right? But this is another principle. So if you put together these four principles, you could use what we say responsibly right, when you are developing. Which is important is that that it's force. I mean, it could be force if you are using GDPR, for instance, but there are principles. And So you can or you cannot use it. If you don't want to use it, you probably will say, okay, I don't care about fairness, for instance, which is a really bad thing, right? But no one is forcing you to do that. So using these four principles, you can create a model or your application that can be thrust, that people can trust in your model or in your application. So it's more like a concept
0: for you. So are there already real-world examples of, application of any of these four principles or the four of them and how can you demonstrate that you've applied them it's probably not a check mark i know or sort of like a a green tick saying i did it but how can you prove it in a way
1: that's a very good question it's very challenging but for instance when you are asking let's suppose that you have a model to give loans to people you are working in a bank and you will like a system who say okay this is the person that i will have And I would like to have a model to say if this person, it's if I can give a loan to this person. The reality is that the model, based on the data that was trained in the past, probably will perform better with some particular kind of data. So you know that most of the AI models, they are trained to perform better on the majority of the data you have. So how you can prove that or how you can test that, that's a very challenged question because I can have my, my model to provide loans, for instance, and this model could be biased. This model could only accept the loans for some particular people for some particular region. So is it okay for me? Probably for the bank, it's okay. But you can start a lawsuit as a customer saying, okay, why are you not giving me that? I mean, is there any law, or any regulation that can give me that? And this is one example that most companies will start using that because they may face some lawsuit. It happens with Uber in some particular times that it was in Europe about this kind of problem. I mean, it was a lawsuit about that. The customer started to complain about the driver and they wanted to know why I was assigned to this particular driver and not other driver. So it was a big conversation there. It was about without regulation. So if you prove or if you say, hey, look, my model is really fair, most people will start using your application, and the way to show it is showing that your data set is not biased, showing the data set that it was that the model was trained. Try to showcase to, to people, okay, my model, I respect those principles, so I'm not biased to some particular users.
0: I did get the impression from you know reading between the lines of what you said that these four principles sort of like we're meant for the people building applications with Gen AI, right? But in a way, I find it difficult for them to be required to demonstrate the application of these principles because nowadays, for example, you can go to AWS and I can't remember the name of the product. Basically, they've got a marketplace of foundational models. So you can actually go there and pick a Claude or any other model that they offer. They've got plenty and just start building a gen AI powered application from there. So I guess I was wrong in thinking that the principles apply to someone like the developer that I just described, but rather more to the foundational models. Is this a clear differentiation? Is this that the responsible AI for principles that you described is more targeted to the clouds, the GPTs, the anything, you know, there's a clear difference between foundational models and then the developers building Gen AI powered applications? Am I making an appropriate differentiation, or does it apply across the board?
1: I mean, they apply for all of them, because for foundational models or for computer vision models, you can have the same thing, for instance. If you have a model that is able to detect faces, probably if you train the model based on some kind of faces, the model would just be able to detect the faces that you train, for instance. And in this particular case it will be racist against the others kind of faces or the the faces that you didn't include in your main data set to train that model. So what happened with generative AI is that it's probably easier to understand the concepts based on responsible AI, but they are the same as usual. When you are deploying foundational model, it could be a loan detector, it could be a computer vision solution, it could be something foundational, as you said. If you're expecting these four principles, it's exactly the same. You have to say which kind of model you're using. You have to provide the privacy of the data that you are handling. You will need to be fair, of course. <laughs> Someone has to be responsible. Probably what makes it more understandable for generative AI is that probably in the future, we need to add a new principle. I don't know, but these principles were related from starting from training, with not got, not having this bias, and they go all the way to training and inference also. When you are deploying your model, you need to be, someone has to be accountable for that, someone has to protect the privacy and everything. So they're probably the same, the same concepts, the same way to use it. I said generative AI, because for me, it's the best way to explain that, because it's when people really see a challenge. For for example, for computer vision, people probably, they don't see a challenge, they say, okay, something to just to detect a face weight it can also be racist even if it's a very easy model right or a foundational model
0: so I guess responsible AI principles will be and especially I'm thinking more of the case of the EU which is usually the leading polity in terms of regulation for everything but I know you're not a legal expert but Have these principles become the basis for regulation? Has any country, any polity, any any legal entity come up with regulation based on it? Or would you assume that these principles will articulate or inspire upcoming regulation?
1: Yeah, I think that the regulations they came from, because when you are a lawyer or when you are closer to laws, the way to define those guardrails of the AI applications is to ask for something to the models. So the way to ask for something is explainable AI, or explanation, or you need something that could give you the reasons of why the model did what the model did, right? So explainable AI is the way, and this is why there are a lot of growing on research in explainable AI, because you have the principles, you have the showcase and everything, but the way for you to demonstrate that your model, for instance, is fair, it could be with explainable AI, right? Mm. Even if it's not directly attached to explainable AI, but the regulations will ask you, okay, explain me. And they will just ask for explanation, which kind of explanation they will provide or which kind of explanations are available. This is a completely different conversation about explainable AI,
0: right? So what is explainable AI then? Is it when you say eventually responsible AI are guiding principles, right, that should structure the way you, the developer, or anyone building a AI model should actually build it, right? So that it can justify that you follow the principles and so forth to avoid biases, to avoid discrimination, to avoid etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But explainable AI is what the authorities will eventually request from these developers. Did I understand that correctly? Or can you explain the concept of explainable AI better?
1: Absolutely. With responsible AI can help you to build trustworthiness. So people can trust in your model, basically. You say that it's fair and so on. But when it comes with explainable AI, and you need to demonstrate why the model took that decision, you need tools to explain that. So basically, if we talk about explainable AI, in short, it's a way to explain why a model took the decision that takes. It's not one tool. I mean, it could be a tool, right, of course, but it's more an outcome that probably would not be the same all the time. So if you need to show to a customer, okay, why did you denied the loan to this person. Okay, and the model or this explainable AI tool can give you, I'd say that this customer is not a good customer to mm. provide a loan because based on, I don't know, the income or the
0: history or whatever. I see. But is this something that I'm probably now too sort of like, my question is too skewed towards generative AI, right? Because I'm thinking of them, of generative AI models of sort of like human-like and I'm thinking that the regulator or whomever's in charge of checking that the principles were applied would go directly to the model and ask, hey, how did you make this decision? If the model has explainable AI properly implemented, it should be able to describe the quote unquote reasoning, the mechanism that it has followed to reach the outcome that it provided. But did I get that wrong? And should the question be addressed to the developer that created the model and that person be able to explain or both?
1: Yeah, how it's usually created is that we can separate it in three main things when we talk about explainable AI. The first one is the kind of explanations that you provide it could be for regulations, could be for developers, or it could be for end users. So how they are implemented, they are different, of course, but usually it's you have something that you provided, and the developer or the person or another developer will provide the explanation why the model took the decision? Of course, when it's impl- implemented, you will probably will keep track of all the explanations just in case if something happens. But you can do it. There is a big different ways to do it, right? But sometimes it's people say, okay, this is what I need to meet the regulations. So what I will do is I will keep track of any prediction that the model de- uh, uh, makes, and I will store that in my
0: database and whatever. In,
1: case if i have to justify something i can provide that kind of explanations to the regulations
0: in my research of explainable ai two acronyms have come up quite frequently one would be lime or l i m e which uh stands for local interpretable model agnostic explanations my goodness what a mouthful and shap is the other one the second one that stands for shapley or shapley Additive explanations, another difficult one. What are these two things, and am I missing anything in the same category?
1: No, these are mainly the two. Of course, there are a lot of models to explain, but these two are the good examples to showcase the group of families that we have to explain a model. So when we talk about line, it's, let's suppose that you have a model. It could be generative AI, it could be whatever. Right? let's suppose that we have a model that is making a prediction, and sometimes this model can be represented by an explainable model, as you may know or as most people know, we have decision trees, for instance, that it's used in a i random forest and so on that it's very easy to see what's going on inside i mean you have the leaves and you can see why which leaf the model took to make that decision, right so it's pretty easy to see it, but sometimes. We as a developers, we are trying to find the best model to solve our problem. Probably the model that we selected was a neural network, for instance. And the neural network is not so easy to see it because even if you have weight, you have neurons, you have a lot of things in the middle, that it's not interpretable. It's not easy to see what's going on inside. So if we need to explain this model, we have two families. One family is... You have a model that you trained, which is a neural network, a transformer, or whatever. You try to build a new model, which is a decision tree or an explainable model that will behave in the similar way as the original model, but you can explain it. So instead of running your complex neural network, what Lime will do is they will build a model, a parallel model, that will behave in the same way. So for the user, it will be the same, and for you as a developer, it will be the same, but now, you will have an explainable model right using this decision tree but there's another group of family that sometimes is not easy to have a decision tree with everything generative models you have transformers and you have very complicated model that you cannot have a parallel explainable model so what they do all this family that is the SHAP family it's they instead of looking at the model they treat the model as a black box and they just compare the inputs, or the features that you provide to the model, and the outputs. And based on how the outputs changed based on the input, the model, which is an explainable model, which has nothing to do with the decision trees and so on, but it's a new model that can interpret how the outputs can infer or can interact with the output. So... Let's suppose that you have a loan and whatever. You have the inputs that could be age, could be zone, zip code, and whatever. And the output will be yes or no, right? And you have a data set that you train a model and so on. What SHAP will give you is, okay, with this model, with this particular local interpretation, with this one example, you said no. Based on what? Based on that, for me, age was the most important feature. And this model is able to detect, which is, and a statical model is able to detect how the input is affecting the output. So these are two main families. So sharp from one side is black box, and I just see the input and the output, and line, which is try to create a new explainable model. This is just families, right? If you go in the papers and so on, there are tons of different ways to create a parallel model. There are tons of variations of sharp, and so on but basically the two main families are these two right
0: and the application is that shap is usually or it's the shap family of explainable models is usually applied to black box and to those inference models that are incredibly difficult to trace back the reasoning i'm calling the decision tree or the path in the decision tree that we followed. what whereas lime category of explanation models is applied to those AI models that do leave a trace and are kind of easier to trace back. Is this the main difference in their application?
1: Yeah, and there's another concept that we can talk about that is local and global explanation. When we talk about local explanation, we are just explaining one example, as SHAP, for instance, used to do. Like, I have one example that the AI algorithm says that I'm not a good person to get alone, okay for this particular, which features were most important? This is what's called local explanations, right and global is when you have a model that is the decision tree that you don't need to do it example by example because you just you can see it you know which was most important for that. What I particularly see is that the models are getting more complex and it's getting more and more complex so I see that, sharp, that the way that SHAP works could work in the future because it will provide you, it will give you an explanation and you treat the model as a black box. And it could be probably impossible. And probably if you talk to, to researchers, they don't even know what is exactly going on inside of the attention layer, for instance, when we talk about the lens. So what do we do? We try to explain the attention in detail or we try to treat it as a black box, and just see the input and output and try to make an assumption based on that. I don't know. It's a very hot topic of research. Yeah. How to explain generative AI is really not clear yet. You can do some explanations on text classification that is using transformers and so on. But how to explain how they generate the text or the image, it's something that is very hot topic now research.
0: Yeah, I agree. Especially, I mean, I'm sure that for... Code completion for examples of structured languages such as programming languages, the output of even black boxes or sort of like extremely complicated models based on transformers is going to be relatively similar even if the input or the prompt is a bit different or just exactly the same, right? The variance there will happen because they are stochastic and they generate new new stuff by definition. But again, when they're trained on structured data, the output should be expected to be quite similar on the vicinity of the previous. But when we're thinking of natural language, or sort of like generate, when you request to these same models to generate creative English language or Spanish or any other, and you provide them with the same input, I can see a huge variance there. So I'm not sure how the sharp category of, of explainable AI models is able to actually infer anything valuable. I'm not a researcher, of course, so take my skepticism with a grain of salt because I've been exposed to this very little. But I don't see how SHAP can be valuable in that case because I can see a huge variety of an enormous variance in the output of these models when it comes to that use Mm -hmm. case. In any case, what are the trade-offs between one and the other? What are the considerations one should take into account between these two Families and are we missing any other type of explainable AI model?
1: I mean, if we try to mention everything, will be tons of models.
0: Oh, okay, I didn't know. Right? Okay,
1: but yeah, mainly we can talk about these two main families: that they are creating a model or they try to infer what the model behaves based on input and output. This is what it's usually called post hoc, right? Once you have a model that is already trained. And you need to explain how the model works. So you create a new model or you explain another one. There are tons, tons, to be honest. Lime, we can talk about rule extraction, model distillation, perturbation models, perturbation methods. When you see how a model can perturbate the other model, it's very, it's a very interesting topic to go there and to try to, to see. But of course, the most popular are Lime and Sharp because they are the most usable or more easy to use. The others are more research. But as you said, with Generative AI, I totally agree with you the part of how SHAP can work. Actually, SHAP works when you use it in a text classification. If you have a paragraph or something, but it's a classification problem, which is pretty easy. It's how SHAP works. So you have a label and you have a text. Even if the text is huge and if it's a long paragraph, SHAP is able to understand which part of the phrases of the paragraph were positive and which part of the paragraphs were negative, so that can give you some insights. But when you are creating concept, basically the only way to do it is, as you know, generative AI or other They seems creative and so on, but they create content based on word by word. So they create a word, they see the previews, they create a new one, they see the previews, and so on and so on and so on. So probably. And this is just an assumption from something that I've seen in some papers, is that going in deep on this generation in the middle could help to try to imagine why the model is predicting the next the next word based on the previous one. And actually, when you're building a model, when you are building an LLM model, there is a function in the middle that it's giving you the likelihood for the next word. But why this likelihood was the number that they said, this is another thing that is in research. But I think that we will be there basically because we would like to implement those models. There are tons of models, and we would like to use it in our real case lives. I mean, even for regulations, even if we can use it or we can implement that, we can have a regulation that can say, okay, we need you to explain that. And if we are not able to explain that, we'll have to remove all the models that we are using, right?
0: So by definition, open source is, again, by definition, more transparent and more open to than closed source, right? Although sometimes just having your repo, your source code open to the world doesn't mean that it is actually explainable, right? But it's easy to understand. So in any case, despite what I just said, have you noticed that... Open source AI in general is better at meeting the requirements from responsible AI and explainable AI. It's not the requirements, they're principles, but you get what I mean, right? Is the open source AI community better at meeting these than the closed source, or is this something that is equally distributed or quite new to everyone and no one's actually caring as much as they should about this?
1: My answer could be a bit biased, to be honest, (laughs) because I used to work, my role is open source, so I used to work with communities and so on. But apart from that, the growing that you have with LLMs and with AI and everything, it was in part thanks to the open source community, because if you have new models, some people would like to create new use cases, and everything that is going up related with making AI growth, it's 100% related with open-source communities and open ecosystems. So it's very important how it behaves when we talk about software and AI. What I see in Responsible AI and in Explainable AI, particularly in Explainable AI, I see that there are a lot of open-source projects that they are aimed to provide explanations on everything. And I see that there is a community that is growing in Explainable AI You see the Google What If, which is a toolkit for fairness. The IBM AI 360 is another one. These are the most known, but there is also an Intel explainable tool. There is multiple, I mean, AWS also has. So the only way to grow on that and what I can see is is that using the community and the community is very eager to propose that and to use that. And also because... It's something that you would like to use it. And I don't see a company creating a solution and selling the solution for explainable AI. I mean, of course, there will be companies that will try to sell it, but most of the times, this kind of parallel solutions or parallel explanations or responsibles or whatever, since they are not in the focus on, okay, I train my model, I would like to sell the model because I train the model, because it's mine, because I... I spend resources, I spend time, I spend money training the model, so I don't want to share it to everyone, which is one part of the closed software, as you said. But explainable AI, it's more like it's not in the middle of the conversation, in my opinion. So it's going in the middle, of course, but I don't see companies trying to sell explainable AI tools. They will probably will sell something around explainable AI and training a model and so on, but it's not explainable AI itself. All the companies that are using explainable AI, they are using the open source toolkits. Of course, they, they are building something on top of that, of course, but they are going there. And we are in the moment when we really need research, and research is going on a lot. Research happens when you have open source communities,
0: right? So you yourself, you work for Open Intel, which is, I guess, Intel's division, business unit, whatever you may call it that is devoted to open source, correct me if I'm wrong. But so that is actually my question. What is the charter of this part of the huge organization that Intel is devoted to? And specifically, if you could tell us then if you guys are doing anything with regards to AI. You just mentioned one project, I believe, but is there anything else?
1: Yeah, basically what our team does is we are in charge of creating the strategy or evangelizing what Intel is doing in the open source environment. Right, Intel is a hardware company, of course, we sell hardware, but we have 80% or 70% of our resources, they are software engineers. So for instance, for PyTorch, we are one of the top three contributors to PyTorch. So we have a team that's dedicated to contribute optimizations and to upstream those optimizations to PyTorch. Because what we have in our hardware, we have some accelerations and optimizations that can be used And the way to use it, it's using a very low level library. So what we do to make it available to most people and to try to democratize the usage of AI and acceleration, we upstream those libraries to PyTorch or TensorFlow or the main AI frameworks. That's from one side. And in terms of open source, we have a few projects. We are not mainly creating software solutions. always try to upstream what we do with optimizations and accelerations. Projects, I can mention two main projects. One project, it's related with Explainable AI, which is Intel Explainable AI Toolkit, which uses Sharp and uses, we are creating also a model card, which is if you would like to visually see your model, how it's working, I mean, you can visually see the features. It's its a mix between sharp and line, but, but they are trying to put all two together just to give you a visual explanation of be fairness, but it's fairness is one part, but it's most of them. And the other one, which is not attached to a hardware, I mean, it's something that we are providing, that it's a toolkit, it's open source, people can collaborate and we are eager to get people collaborating to our project. And the other one could be, I can mention, it's OpenFL, which is a federated learning framework. If you are in some use cases, you need to train your data in a distributed way because there's privacy, regulations, and so on, and you cannot move the data from one side to another. Mm. Side. No, the Data should reside in one country, and you can train the model with the data that is present in that country. What we created is the OpenFL, which is a framework. It's completely hardware agnostic, of course, but it's a framework that you can use it to build this kind of solution. We are trying to make it easier. It's just an API it's very easy to use. It works on Python or TensorFlow and so on. So, the concept of what we do with open source or with open ecosystem is try to democratize the usage of AI. It's try to make it easier. All our products are based on open standards. We don't have a new language that you need to learn, right? Everything is based on C or Python or on SQL. So, basically, this is what Intel does in the open source.
0: I should mention that at Open Source Summit Europe 2023 in Bilbao, where you gave the talk, the UXL Foundation was announced. And the kernel of that, the seed of that, was the Open, the One API project, which is also part of Intel, right? It was Intel's way of saying, hey, we're providing one single API for you to be able to program mostly in C, but C or whatever, targeting any architecture out there. And it was open source from the get-go, but now it has been the governance of this new project called UXL, which stands for Unified Acceleration Foundation, or the Unified Acceleration Project, is now under the Linux Foundation. And many other companies, big companies such as Intel and others, are completely involved so that, you know, one APR, well, that, you know, that you can target any single architecture. In this case accelerator architecture, so GPUs, but not only GPUs. Think of FPGAs and other complex and really powerful pieces of hardware out there. They can do it without caring about that, right? They're providing Sickle and other pieces of software that actually help with that. DP C++ and, C++, and so on. But yeah, there's a lot of beautiful and great things that open until does and contributes to the world. So I'm quite thankful for the ones that you mentioned too and the ones that you're involved. Ezekiel, thanks so much. I will link the talk in which you elaborate way more than what we just skimmed over on the concepts of responsible AI. That one we covered mostly, quite good. But explainable, AI, uh, you get into the weeds and you actually go into a real-world example of a case study of it. So I, I just suggest everyone interested in these two areas, which are going to be major in developing AI applications or AI software in the future, or models itself, to just go and watch it. It's in the Linux Foundation's YouTube channel, but I'll link it in the show notes. And I just would like to thank you, and I look forward to knowing more about these areas and having researchers and open source advocates and others like you involved in developing these concepts and applications as much as possible.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. So I hope to see you in the next events. As you said, open source, open communities, open ecosystem. It's a very key part of this development and to try to make it grow. Right. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: I agree. Take
1: care. Bye-bye.